0: It's Tuesday, April the 19th, 2022, and you're listening to Matters of Policy and Politics, a Hoover Institution podcast devoted to governance and balance of power here in America and around the free world. I'm Bill Whalen. I'm the Virginia Hobbs Carpenter Distinguished Policy Fellow in Journalism here at the Hoover Institution. But I'm not the only Hoover Fellow who's engaged in podcasts, either as a moderator or a guest. If you don't believe me, look for yourself. Go to our website, which is hoover.org. Click on the tab that says Publications, go to the tab on the left side that said Podcast, and a whole menu will come up in front of you, including this podcast. You can sign up for any or all of them. You can also sign up for what we call the Pod Blast here at Hoover, which is uh, something we put out once a month. It delivers the best of our podcast to you uh, once a month, as I said. And it's like one of those cereal boxes you used to get as a kid, those little six-pack varieties, which I guess they don't make anymore. Uh, anyway, Hoover Podcast, just one facet of ideas defining a free society. My guest today is Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. Dr. Bhattacharya, or Dr. Jay as he's known to Hoover viewers and listeners, is a professor of medicine at Stanford University. He's also a senior fellow at the Stanford Institute for Economic Policy Research and Stanford's Freeman Spoley Institute. Dr. Dr. research focuses on the health and well-being of vulnerable populations with an emphasis on the role of government programs, biomedical innovation, and economics. His recent research focuses on the epidemiology of COVID-19 as well as an evaluation of policy responses to the, epi- to the epidemic. Dr. Jay, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Bill. And I left out one nugget of news that you are now a Hoover Institution Senior Fellow. Did we finally wear you down and convince you to come over? How, how did we finally <laughs> land you?
1: I have a lot of friends that I respect deeply at Hoover and I'm delighted to be a senior fellow. Well,
0: we're honored to have you on board, Jay. So let's talk about, uh, Well, still breaking news that happened less than 24 hours ago. We're doing this on a Tuesday morning. Uh, Yesterday, uh, Monday, Jay, federal judge in Florida struck down the vaunted, dreaded mask requirement on airplanes, trains, buses, and other public transportation. Uh, This less than a week after the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC had extended it through May the 3rd. Uh, Judge Catherine Kimball-Mazell is the name of the judge who did this. She voided the mandate on several grounds, Jay, including that the agency had exceeded its legal authority. Under what is called the PHSA, which is the Public Health Services Act of 1944, that law empowers the director of the CDC to promulgate regulations aimed at "quote identifying, isolating, and destroying" and "quote communicable diseases." In a ruling, state, Judge Mazel adopted a rather narrow interpretation of the authority of Congress granted to the CDC to issue rules aimed at. Preventing the Interstate Spread of Communicable Diseases, and Jay, here's what caught my attention, and I want to get your thoughts on this. She uh, issued a 59-page opinion and order, including the following passage, Jay, let me read it to you, quote, Wearing a mask cleans nothing. At most, it traps virus droplets, but it neither sanitizes the person wearing the mask nor sanitizes the conveyance. Because the CDC required mask wearing as a measure to keep something clean, explaining that it limits the spread of COVID-19 through prevention, but never contending that it actively destroys or removes, the mask mandate falls outside of the PHSA. Uh, Jay, I'm not a legal scholar in your many degrees. I don't see a JD in there. But I think what the judge is telling us is that masks don't stop the spread of COVID.
1: She, uh, I did know enough. I'm not going to comment on the legal aspect because I will get everything wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, but on, the, on the medical aspect, she said she got it absolutely right. The masks do not stop the spread of COVID. And it's, um, you know, I think uh, a lot of the thinking that people have on masks comes from a mistaken understanding of how COVID spreads. And this was this from all the real early days. The idea is like you know when you sneeze, all the snot stuff and comes out. It's, it's those are droplets. They fall to the ground, and masks can actually stop droplets from you know spewing everywhere. I mean that's that's the primary reason why people wear masks in surgical settings, for instance. Uh, the problem is that this disease doesn't spread only by droplets. In fact, a big way that it spreads is by aerosols. The aerosols are like clouds, droplets are like rain. And uh, when you, for instance, you wear, the, wear a mask and anyone who has glasses has this experience of the glasses fogging up, that's aerosols coming out through the, the, the gaps in the masks or, uh, and, uh, and the edges. And it sits in the air for a very long time. And so the key question isn't, are you wearing a mask uh, or are other people wearing masks? The key question is, how good is the ventilation in the space? Because the ventilation in the space recirculates air, removes the virus. That's how, you, that's how you clean the virus, not by wearing a mask, but by having good ventilation. Planes have good ventilation, like excellent ventilation. Um, and this was before the pandemic. This is the reason why there have been so few cases found of disease spreading on airplanes. So the judge got the science exactly right.
0: Yeah, so it's interesting, Jay. The Biden administration has cards to play here if it wants to. One of which is it could appeal the decision to a, to a higher judge an appellate judge, and say, "Can you at least put a hold on this until we've had time to review this?" But so far, silence in the White House, and I think this is politics, Jay. I think they're probably happy at some level that a judge made this go away rather than them have to break the news on May the third. And politics gets more intricate because the president, on one hand, could have kind of declared victory and said, "Look at, we've def- you know we've tamed COVID. You don't have to wear a mask now. Hallelujah, everyone." But I think they'd just rather walk away from it for again political purposes. But what if Jay? What if the administration wanted to fight this? What if the administration went to court and say, "Well, wait a minute. What if we come back with a mandate, and everybody has to wear a KN95 mask,
1: a surgical mask?" Uh, you, and,
0: I, and I see you're shaking your head because that's that's not gonna that doesn't change the the the, the, the what's going on aboard the airplane.
1: Yeah, it doesn't change the calculus, right? So uh, first of all, N95 masks, uh, when it's effective, it's effective for people that are trained to wear it. Usually in, you know, like in medical personnel, we trained to wear it. It has to be fit tested. Right, you have to put it on and seal it, right? You basically have to seal it. And it's really hard to, to breathe. If you've had a sealed F- N95 mask, If you've had any experience with that. Mm-hmm. Um, if it gets wet, which it does after a few, uh, like an hour or two of breathing in it, you have to change it because they're no longer effective at, at, uh, at, at uh, filtering. Um, and even uh, and even at best, I mean, it's it's a it's it's a low efficacy intervention. And then you know, like in the general public, wearing it, you're you, you know, people with beards wear it. There's gaps everywhere. The same problem is like you, if you have an N95 and it has gaps, it's the same aerosolization problem. Um, you're not stopping the virus from spreading by wearing an N95 that you don't know how to wear, and most people don't know how to wear them. Um, Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah. So I just, I mean, I think if they come back with N95 mask mandate, uh, I think, uh, well, first, I think most people will will, uh, uh, just had enough of this. And second, and maybe perhaps more importantly, it will do nothing to stop the spread of COVID. COVID will continue to spread. Um, Despite that, if they want to actually do something to stop the spread of COVID, they should be upgrading ventilation in public spaces.
0: Interesting. So the last time you did this podcast with me, I called the episode Delta for Dummies because I wanted you to explain the Delta variant to me, being your being your uh, host and dump resident dummy on this show. Um, I don't have anything clever to pair with BA2, but I would like you to explain a bit what the BA2 variant is and should we be concerned about it? How does it stack up against Delta? And you know, because you see all these terrible headlines right now about caseloads and what sparked what happened in Philadelphia, which you get to in a minute, but walk us through BA2.
1: So uh, BA2 is just another variant off of the Omicron tree. Omicron is the, is the, the dominant variant in, uh, in, in, the, in the world today right. of, of COVID. Um, the, the, uh, the, me- the medical results uh, in the literature on Omicron are, are, are super interesting. So first of all, um, it seems to evade both natural immunity and, and vaccine mediated immunity in terms of the likelihood that you can get it. Mm-hmm. So many people who had COVID before and recovered have gotten to Omicron, but also an incredible number of people who'd had the vaccine, which is the vaccine is based on the original Wuhan strain of the vi- virus, uh, the spike protein for that, not the, the Omicron strain. Um, it, it The Omicron then has infected an incredible number of vaccinated people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But, and here's the good news, if you'd had COVID before and recovered, or if you had, uh, had the vaccine, y- y- Omicron is a really mild disease. I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, it can produce severe outcomes, but it's much less likely to do so. Uh, orders of magnitude less likely to do so uh, for those, those folks who had COVID recovered or had the vaccine um, than, than Delta. Even for people who ha- uh, had no immunity, it's also milder. I mean, something on the order of 60, 70% milder. By milder, I mean less likely to produce severe outcomes like hospitalizations mm-hmm. and deaths. Right. So uh, I mean, it's, in many ways, it's it's. I mean, it's not. I say it's like good news is the wrong word for a virus uh, like this, but it's you know it's it's it it, it it's uh it's it, what it's what's happened is that it's meeting unlike unlike Delta and certainly unlike the Wuhan strain, it's meeting a relatively inoculated population inoculated either by COVID recovery or by um, by the vaccines, and uh, as a result, it's producing much less severe disease and deaths. Uh, we don't you know it's it's interesting because COVID is a coronavirus, coronaviruses mutate to evade natural immunity. It's, I mean, that's why you get colds repeatedly with the coronavirus over, over your lifetime. It's just that uh, your body learns how to manage it so it doesn't overreact and it produces a cold. And it seems like that's where this virus is headed. Um, it's not meeting of immune naive population anymore. We don't have to be scared like we were in March of 2020. Um, instead, it's meeting of the population that's used has seen it before and has, has knows how to deal with it. It's whose bodies know how to deal with it, both thanks to the vaccine, but also thanks to uh, the immunity provided by COVID recovery.
0: So every few days, Jabe, somebody famous comes down with COVID, and there's a big screaming headline. You know, X, Y, or Z has COVID, and. It reads like that person has a death sentence, and then the subhead is they got it despite having been vaccinated three times, receiving the jab, so on and so forth. Um, but I think this is an important thing to explain. People associate getting jabbed, having the vaccinators being bulletproof, with with that being a firewall, but it just reduces your chances of getting
1: it. Right? It only reduces your chance of getting it for a short while after the jab. Yeah. So maybe two, three months, four. I mean, maybe at most four months. I got COVID four months after I was. I got. I got the vaccine. Uh, sequence in April of 2021. And I got COVID in August of 2021, I got Delta. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't stop you from getting COVID. Uh, in fact, uh, since vaccinated people, many vaccinated people feel bulletproof, they go out and, 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 you know, sort of interact in society more. They may actually be spreading the virus more than people who are, or who are unvaccinated because they get a the more severe mm-hmm. version of the disease, uh, generally. So it, it's, it's, um, the, the idea that vaccinated people are relatively clean and that unvaccinated people are unclean is just false on the science. Mm-hmm. It's just false on the science. Both vaccinated and vi- unvaccinated people can spread the disease, depending on if you, the unvaccinated person who's COVID recovered actually probably is less likely to spread the disease than the And then a vaccinated person who never got COVID before. Um, so you just, it's, it's a, it's a false notion based on what people think what vaccines do. And, you know, traditional vaccines actually do stop you from spreading the disease. Just this one doesn't happen to do so. The main thing this does is private protection against severe disease, against hospitalizations and deaths. That's the primary purpose of this vaccine, the primary thing it can do.
0: Can you walk us through the population in COVID for a minute? Uh, it seems to me we have at least three segments of the population as it applies to the, to the pandemic slash epidemic, we'll call it now. Um, there's obviously the elderly and the frail Uh, People who have respiratory diseases, maybe at risk of heart or stroke condition, things like that. People who, in theory, if they get COVID, they could be pushed over the edge. There's a group in the middle J, um, let's call them not old, not young necessarily, but They're out and they're working. They're kind of making the economy go. They have to be out in society producing, being active. It's just the way society is set up. But then, Jay, there is the young segment of the population, kids. And I'm particularly interested about kids and COVID. Um, Your thoughts on vaccinating kids, for example. Should kids be vaccinated? At what age do you think they should be vaccinated? And just the idea of parents being afraid about their kids going to school with the risk of contracting COVID. Okay, so uh,
1: first of all, the kids, as a general matter, react i mean much better to, to COVID infection than older people do there's a thousand or more times higher risk of dying for older older populations from getting COVID than children
0: and they probably bounce back pretty quick too
1: right yeah they. i mean they it's it's a relatively mild disease for most kids that get this the vast vast majority you have kids that get it, have a relatively mild outcome. Um, and uh, parents may be afraid of something called long COVID where like lingering symptoms from COVID after, after COVID recovery. Actually, there's some really interesting studies out of France and elsewhere that look compare kids that had COVID versus kids that never had COVID, a control group, if you will, track them over time, months, and ask what's the rate of these like symptoms of long COVID, like fatigue or something. Um, it turns out that the control group has about the same rates Of these symptoms, as the as as the folks who got the kids who got COVID, Uh, and that the rates even for the in the kids that got COVID are like five percent of report fatigue at three three months after recovery. Um, So I think uh, the idea that COVID is uniquely deadly for kids is not true. It is true that there are some kids that are vulnerable, uh, and some kids have died from COVID, but that's true for other respiratory diseases as well, which we don't close down societies for. And so uh, and and now on the other hand. School, keeping kids out of school, keep limiting their, their social interactions, limiting their opportunities, that actually is harmful for kids. That actually hurts them. Um, and so I think uh, parents that are so scared of COVID that they are restricting the lives of their children in response in the name of safety are actually, unfortunately, although they, they, you know, I'm, I'm sure they mean well for their kids, they are actually ending up doing them harm in the long run by doing that
0: is there a way to set parents straight? I mean, here's the problem. We've been dealing with this now for two years. Parents have been worried about their children's health for two years. I imagine there's just a lot of preconcepts built now and they're thinking about this. In other words, how do you, how do you correct their behaviors that they're not living in panic and fear about polio i'm old enough to remember pol- polio itself and the fear that you could contract polio and eventually along cape sugar cubes and problem solved but for the parents who is just absolutely wigged out freaked out about covid and concerned about their little child getting getting sick versus their child's mental health from being out of school how do you correct that in the parent how do you how do you convince the parent that actually it's not as bad as you might think
1: I mean, you can, you can give data until you're blue in the face. It's the the problem is like, you know, there are, there are folks, there are The the problem is that like people respond to anecdotes and the the irresponsible thing that some media have done is take anecdotes that are are not actually typical and then blared it to the sky to scaring the living daylights out of everybody, a lot of many parents. Um, But I think maybe emphasizing how important those normal interactions are for the health and development of, of kids. Right, keeping kids out of school, it what it's led to is is a generation of kids who we've robbed of their birthright of an education, and that will have echo effects through their entire lives. They will lead shorter, less healthy lives, and it tends to be poorer people, uh, poor kid, the kids of poorer people that have had this the most harm from this because richer, richer parents replace their education with uh, with you know sort of tutors and so, and so on. It's mm-hmm. and, and so I think uh, when if we start to emphasize what are the benefits of school for the health of children, as opposed to uh, rare very rare risks that might happen um, I think people will make start to make the right choices we have to I mean I think the media plays it unfortunately a really unfortunate role in inducing this panic and it's the media's frankly responsibility to help help turn that back the scientific evidence is, I think is now clear I have to say there are some very irresponsible doctors that have also done this as well and they sort of they they, they get the headlines but it's um, it's, it's, it's something I think we as a medical profession and also we we in in, in, in public health have a responsibility to tell media folks, look, this is the, the right thing to do is to promote going to school, promote normal life for children.
0: Yeah, I think one of the challenges here, Jay, is the media forever want to battle past battles. And as soon as the judge made this issue, quickly was found out that she she's very young. She was put on the court at the age of 33 by one Donald J. Trump and it happened. Um, she was nominated shortly before the election. She was uh, uh, confirmed by the Senate after the election in a lame duck session. Not a single Democrat voted for her. The ABA, the American Bar Association said she was disqualified. The point of this, Jay, is rather than looking at her 59-page opinion and kind of dissecting the legality of it or not, we quickly got into the mosh pit of Trump.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, it's just it's just unfortunate. I mean, I think uh, the question of whether masks work or don't work on airplanes to my mind is a settled question. Right. It's not a question of did Trump believe it or not believe it. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's a question of like, what are the physics of mass? Right. Are you promoting interventions that don't actually promote health or, or, or just are, 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 you know, make people miserable, divide society for no purpose? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think uh, this judge got it right. She just got it right. I, and I don't care if she's a Trump appointee or Obama appointee or what, whatever. I think Major,
0: she was... The media can run with us. I could say, oh, it's a Trump judge. So therefore, she must be nuts to begin with. Oh, she's a Trump judge in Florida. And that's where Ron DeSantis is. And Florida is not a <laughs> center for evil. So, <laughs> and yeah, we can laugh about this. But unfortunately, this is a problem with media coverage when it comes to COVID. Instead of talking about the science on it, no, we get up. We get caught up in the politics of it. Which, by the yeah. way, Jay, takes me to another other issue, uh, which I want to get your thoughts on with the mask. Um, the mask is not just about science anymore. It's not about prevention. It's about virtue, plain and simple. I, um, I live not too far from the Stanford campus. I like to go through long walks through the neighborhood, and I like to kind of take inventory of what's going on. And what fascinates me, Jay, at all times are lawn signs. People own five, $10 million homes around here, and they love to put out lawn signs to do one thing, which is virtue signal. So it once began, it, was, uh, it used to be Obama signs way back in the day, Jay, then it became anti-Trump signs, then it became Black Lives Matter signs, and then about a year ago, it became a combination of syringes and masks. In other words, I have gotten my shot, and so therefore I'm doing my part for society, and I'm wearing a mask because, damn it, I care. Um, here's part of the challenge going forward. It's going to be rather interesting to watch people interact, I think, on planes and public transportation over this. There'll be individuals, I imagine, Jay, who will wear a mask either because they're legitimately concerned about their health or they're concerned about the health of other people. In other words, just they think the mask is somehow going gonna to save them from COVID. But there are other people, Jay, who are going to wear the mask because they feel it's the virtuous thing to do and be very interesting to watch their treatment of people who choose not to wear the mask. It's sort of like that great Co- that Seinfeld episode of years ago where Cosmo Kramer, Refused to wear the AIDS ribbon just because he doesn't want to wear it, and of course he gets bullied and pushed around. How dare you not wear the ribbon? I think masks are kind of the same thing in our society now. Jay, you got to wear it because, damn it, you got to show you care.
1: Yeah, I, well, I mean, I think uh, whoever came up with that that slogan at the beginning of the pandemic, which is um, "My mask protects you, your mask protects me," or, or whatever such thing, uh, that was a brilliant piece of marketing. And unfortunately, it's not true, but it, it was a brilliant piece of marketing because what it did is it it triggered the emotional centers of people's brains where, where it's good to care for others. It, and it is, it's absolutely good for to take care for others. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. The problem is like hijacking that in order to induce people to comply with a public health order behind which there's no good medical evidence mm-hmm. of efficacy. That's the problem. And now what it's done is it's it's divided society. You have these like, vid- these very unfortunate videos I've seen the, through the pandemic where like, People get into fights in in like grocery stores over mask wearing. There's like you know, uh, and and there's and there's like this sense of like, well, uh, you know, people who wear masks can look down on people who are who are not wearing masks as as you know unscientific rubes uh, who, who, are, who, are un, uh, who don't care about others. I mean, I think that uh, kind of public health messaging that that divides society is a mistake. Like even if masks were somewhat effective in stopping this spread of the disease. Uh, that if you if you have public health messaging that has created this sort of uh, division as a consequence of this wearing of it is it's 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 a mistake. You have to if you if you if you have something that's effective you believe is effective you have to figure out a way so that you can reach reach the entire population. And for what's happened in public health actually, it's uh, this mask is just a broader problem, a symptom of the broader problem. A lot of people in public health, the vast vast majority of people working in public health look down on their political enemies this is the trump issue if not in, in in journalism but in public health right i mean they just actively disdain people on the right and people on the right many of whom i mean i mean there's there were normal people no one wants to be looked down upon how do you convince public health has a responsibility to reach the entire population how do you convince the uh, a part of the population a very large part of the population to comply with uh, good scientific advice. If you're, if they view you as looking down on them, and you actually are looking down on them, it's a major problem for public health. And, and it seems like they they don't. It, a lot of my colleagues just don't care. They don't see it. They they engage themselves in this active disdainment of people people on the right, and it makes it, it makes um, it makes it so that they can't do their jobs they have to be able to reach the entire population. I've I played with this idea of if you're gonna enter public health, you, you gotta take a, a vow of political celibacy. I mean, just, you're just not allowed to take a position on or, or, or just vocal, vocalize who you're voting for or what, whatnot. I mean, I don't, I, don't know if, I don't know if that would work, but uh, there's something wrong in public health and its ability to do its job as a result of this intermingling of politics and, and, uh, and, and, their, and, and how they view science. It might be it might be a factor J of where public officials come from, what their
0: background is, maybe they have left of center tendencies to begin with or not. Maybe they're just embedded in the government. Maybe you need to if you don't know, think about It's just kind of just sort of you know, rotate people out of these positions for too long. I don't want to beat up on Anthony Fauci in particular, but the man has been in that job for uh, my God, I was watching uh, I was watching a videotape of Magic Johnson the other day, and uh, they chronicled him and, uh, and the AIDS announcement. And there's Anthony Fauci talking about it. <laughs> and I was, oh my God, Anthony Fauci has been around that long.
1: <laughs> he, he is uh, he is he's a fixture, right? I mean, he I think he was a big player in the uh, in the um, HIV era during the, the mid to late 80s. Yes, he's been for like 40 years in in, in this job. And I think the problem for him is that he uh, it's been a long time since someone's told him no. Inside, That could be. So, Jay,
0: I've looked at the future and I'm afraid the future might be Philadelphia. No offense, our Philadelphia listeners, but in this regard, Philadelphia this week, Jay, uh, is now requiring individuals wear a mask indoors, restaurants, museums and buildings, but there's an out here, Jay. The out is that businesses can go mask free if they require everyone on site to be fully vaccinated and check vaccine status upon entry. Uh, this concerns me, Jay, this sounds kind of gas and break at the same time. You're allowing, you're telling people they have to wear a mask. On the other hand, you're kind of relying on an honor system here. Businesses saying, well, we checked and people are fully vaccinated and we checked their status and they entered. And I can just tell you anecdotally from here in California, restaurants don't check.
1: Yeah. And of course you you, you can put, take your mask off as soon as you sit down. It's only when right. you walk to the bathroom. You have to, I mean, the, the whole thing is, is nonsense. Um, the masks don't stop the spread of the disease. So the idea that somehow you need to have the mask for equity's sake, well, you're, I mean, you're just harming the population you're supposedly trying to help by, by forced mask wearing that doesn't actually stop the spread of the disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, to link masks and vaccines, I think that's been another cardinal problem of the, of the public health message during the pandemic. The vaccines don't stop the spread of the disease. The masks don't stop the spread of the disease. Wearing a mask with the vac- and, and, and being vaccinated doesn't stop you from spreading the, spreading the disease. Um, and so the idea that like somehow if you're vaccinated, therefore you don't have to wear a mask, it, it, I, it, I guess it may sound logical to somebody. I don't, I mean, even to like top public health officials, but the problem is it's not consistent with the science. The science is doesn't stop the spread of the disease. And you can be an unvaccinated person not wearing a mask who's COVID recovered, actually maybe even have lower risk of spreading the disease. So I think um, masks are like this visual symbol of, of like you're your, your complying. Vaccines are not, a, are not visible. Um, the, the, this visibility aspect of it, I think, is, is partly what leads places like Philadelphia and other other, or other public health officials to recommend it. But I don't think it's the visibility is the important thing. The, the, the key thing is actual actual reductions in risk. If they really want to reduce the risk in public spaces, encourage the the, the installation of improved ventilation.
0: Right. So one thing that drove Jay, uh, Philadelphia to make its chase was it looked at uh, confirmed cases, a number of increase in confirmed cases. Uh, Philly had a fifty percent increase in confirmed cases over ten days prior to this uh, policy shift. And I know you hate these stats, but why, why, why do you have issues with the fact that a fifty percent increase? It sounds like my goodness, there's a problem here. But you're not fond of these stats, are you?
1: No. Uh, I mean, I think uh, the the problem is that that um, the cases are not really the relevant statistic, you know, something like 99 before with the original Wuhan strain um, outside of nursing home settings, it was something like 99.8% survival with, with, with with the Omicron strain and especially in, in vaccinated or COVID recovered populations, the survival is 99.99 or something on that order, Mm -hmm. but, but uh, even higher. Uh, And if you're young, it's like, you know, Ninety nine point nine nine nine. I mean, like it's, it's it's a it's you know you run out of nines really easily fast. Right. Um, so for most of the population, a case is just is 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 not like it's not going to produce a hospitalization. It's not going to produce a death. It's, it's so what is the purpose of counting them? Why? What's the purpose of like yelling to the clouds that uh, that you know uh, some, you know somebody got COVID, some some famous celebrity got COVID? It doesn't it, I mean I, I think it's just a bad habit. Um, the relevant question is. Uh, what risk does it pose to actual to people? Like, what serious risk, and to whom does it pose that risk? It's still there. Still are people uh, around the world, some some uh, in, in poorer parts of the world, older people who have not been vaccinated, not got COVID before. Those might be a priority, right? And, uh, maybe older people in the, in the United States who have, um, you know, who have, who have a lot of chronic conditions. They're they're also a priority, uh, potentially, of course. But they've been vaccinated. Most of them have been vaccinated.
0: Um, do you have any sense to where California might be going on this? Because uh, the state's announced it doesn't have any plans to impose new statewide pandemic restrictions. Uh, Los Angeles County case rates rose 15% last week. And so, again, there's a push and pull. Public health officials read the newspapers, they go online, they see the stats like everyone else, they see the screaming headlines. Their instinct's going to be to want to do something, do something restrictive. But I don't think the population wants to be restricted. So, just curious here in a very blue state, what do you think this blue state's going to do?
1: I, I mean, I think there's going to there's a I think there's a fight inside the, the the Democratic Party around this. I mean, I've seen signs that the there many folks inside the Democratic Party have had enough that understand the damage that this sort of COVID regime is doing, both, both to the political prospects, but also to the the vulnerable folks that they that they care about, you know, children. Yeah. Um, uh, and and so, uh, but on the other hand, there still are these like people who are still think it's March of 2020. And uh, and unfortunately, most of them are in the Democratic Party, and uh, I think I've, I I view us like essentially a little mini civil war happening inside the Democratic Party over this exact thing, right? So Philadelphia is a victory for one faction, mm-hmm. and I guess uh, the the, uh, the 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 more reasonable faction inside the Democratic Party has the upper hand in, in, in California for now. Um, we're going the cases are always going to go up. I mean, there's there's going to be up like, to be ups and downs. This is this is a, a respiratory virus that is never going away. We, at this point, now that the vaccine, the population is largely inoculated either by COVID recovery or by the vaccines, we have to make a decision. Do we want to reorganize a society around COVID control, and it'll fail repeatedly? It'll fail because COVID is now is is is, is a seasonal disease that will spread forever. Right. Or do we go back to some semblance of normal while protecting the vulnerable? That's that's the choice politically. Right that we have to make as in California and everyone, everywhere around the world has to make. And I think, um, I mean, I, I, am I hopeful? <laughs> I mean, last two years have not filled me with, with the rationality of the California government in, in terms of COVID control. Uh, so I guess I, I don't, I, 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 I'm not entirely, I'm not entirely uh, certain that we won't go back to some, some, some nonsense, um, but uh, I, I do think that the trend is away from performative COVID, uh, COVID, uh, COVID suppression in, in favor of some more rational policies.
0: I think our uh, colleague, Neil Ferguson, who's not just a historian, but a guy who is very talented looking around the corner, he played it right in about March of 2020 last year, he saw California about to go in lockdown and he and his family bugged out to Montana to run a <laughs> pandemic. But you know, the thing about California, uh, Jay, is that uh, on the one hand, uh, its COVID policy is decentralized in this regard. It's kind of Jeffersonian. Sacramento said, okay, we're gonna let the counties go their own course and decide what to do. But here's the problem. You do this on a county by county basis, there are 58 counties, I believe in California, you can literally walk across a county line and walk into a different world. For example, last year, um, so I live straddle, I straddle line between Santa Clara and San Mateo County. So last year we'd have a mass restriction in Santa Clara County, but if I walked across the county line to get my haircut, didn't have to wear a mask. And you just, I think that's a little thing that just sort of drives people crazy. What is it about walking, you know, 200 feet that suddenly changes the world for me? This, this is not Berlin or the cold war necessarily.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of these things where like, uh, you're you're at the uh you're, you're you're the fate of your family and you are are, th- are at the uh, you know at the hands of essentially whatever the public health official in charge of your county is an un- you know unelected public health official you know it with other uh health regulations i mean i just take like an example uh if you look at uh whether you whether a city council can stop a cell tower from being put up right um that there that the, they can, but they can't rely on science that they themselves have just ad hoc constructed, mm-hmm. right? They have to, there's like rules where they have to rely on on like broader regular, regulatory uh, agencies that have made designations of, of like relative safety of these kinds of things. Um, what's happened with COVID is that uh, public health officials, local public health officials who do not actually understand the science have made and are not elected, have made these decisions uh, I, that harm the lives of an incredible number of people. Like the, the, the worst is these school closures. Like the, the, uh, the school closures have been um, in California have been probably the worst in the country, maybe with the exception of Maryland. Um, most missed school days. Um, the, 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 I think we need to revisit this, uh, how we do local governance around these health issues. Like you should, we should have um, some, abil- I, I mean, frankly, I think at this point it's clear that to me that like the, the public health officials ought to be in elected office but they should be accountable to people.
0: That's interesting. So in California you could say, recall that public health official if you didn't like their, their policy. That's an interesting thought. Uh, we'll probably find out more about this November, Jay. When people go to the polls and the idea that there are voters out there angry about a lot of issues. They're angry about the economy. They're angry about a lot of cultural issues, but they're also frustrated with COVID policies. We'll see how much that weighs into their vote. Let's let's talk a minute about an article that you and Martin Kaldorf co- uh, co-wrote, the headline of which is The Tragic Folly of Lockdown. And here you and your colleague wrote about three pandemic strategies. They are a, a do-nothing let it rip approach, b, focus protection of high-risk older people with only limited restrictions on others, and C general lockdowns and restrictions on all age groups. So three, three strategies. Which one worked, which
1: ones didn't? Yeah. So um Let it rip is a irresponsible strategy. Like we know that COVID, especially before the widespread immunity, um, it was an absolutely deadly disease for older people and and especially in nursing homes.
0: What would showcase let it rip?
1: Yeah. So like, so like, I mean, I like in the early days of the pandemic, um, the, uh, the, the kinds of things we did were essentially were let it rip. Like we, we sent COVID infected patients back to nursing homes. Okay. Right. We, we, uh, we let the virus rip through populations that were extremely vulnerable mm-hmm. and we got, ex- we got the, the, the reward for that, which is really high death rates among the old. Right, um, right. And uh, so I think that that is an absolutely irresponsible strategy when we know, when we knew very early on who was most vulnerable, which we did. Um, the, the other strategy is lockdown strategy. That the theory was that a uh, three is that if we um, so if we take action to suppress the spread of the virus generally in the community at large mm-hmm. we automatically will protect the vulnerable right that's the theory but it didn't work out right 40 percent of the deaths in the united states have been in in in, in nursing homes 80 mm-hmm. percent of the deaths in people over 65 the the suppression strategy that many states adopted to try to reduce community spread um it failed uh, it caused all kinds of misery on, on top of it and, and all kinds of other public health harm on top of it. But that strategy, if the idea was to protect the protect the, 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 the people who are most vulnerable to COVID, it didn't work. Um, the right strategy uh, would have been to protect the vulnerable directly, like mm-hmm. take actions to directly protect the vulnerable instead of trying to reduce community spread. So instead of wasting energy, public health energy on mask mandates and, and and vaccine mandate, vaccine passports and other nonsense that didn't didn't actually protect anybody, um, it, instead, if we'd spent our energy and creativity on how do we protect the vulnerable, like reorganize nursing homes so that it becomes like staff don't have to go in and out, uh, you know, it go, they, they they actually just they they, they live on campus with. The the, the 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 older folks there for instance and they're then they're not tracking the disease in and out so for a month off, they're 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 on campus and uh i mean things like that we could have reorganized how we uh, our society around the protection of the vulnerable with actually relatively simple changes if we just thought about how how best to do it you know like we we organized uber eats for like relatively young healthy populations well why not like do a big drive across the country. If you know an older pe- couple living next door or older family living next door, uh, del- offer to deliver groceries to them so they don't have to go out and get the groceries. I mean, that would have been a nice, easy way to uh, to, to give some protection for, for vulnerable older people. And so, so we got like COVID uh, senior only grocery hour as if seniors can't spread the disease to each other in, in a grocery setting. Um, uh, I keep mentioning up, ventilation upgrades, that would have been an enormously important inter- intervention. Um, the, and, and we spent trillions of dollars, that's a lot of money for ventilation upgrades. We focused our, prote- our, our our interventions around things like school closures, mask mandates, vaccine passports, that did very little to protect the elderly. Um, instead, what we should have done is a all hands on deck, public health emergency to figure out how to protect the elderly and, and the other folks with, with some chronic conditions. Um, in the living circumstances where they were.
0: Okay. I want to take you forward into 2023, uh, Jay, and this scenario. The scenario is that the presidential election is underway. Uh, The scenario is that Donald Trump has decided not to run. And so the front runner for the Republican nomination is probably Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. This is assuming he's reelected, but he's probably gonna get reelected. The question then is who is Ron DeSantis running against? And under the scenario, Joe Biden has announced he is not running. So now Kamala Harris is the front runner, Jay. And history shows that incumbent vice presidents have a pretty good shot at getting the party's nomination. So now I'm gonna take you deep into 2024, Jay, and a presidential matchup of Ron DeSantis versus Kamala Harris which becomes my contention here. I want to get your thoughts on this. This becomes, among uh, other things, a conversation about how COVID was handled in California versus how COVID was handled in Florida. And I know you've worked with Governor DeSantis. You know his administration pretty well. Give us the, give us the defense of Florida, Florida's justification for what it did. Maybe explain a little bit about Florida's approach, because I think with DeSantis, the treatment he's going to get from the press, I, I suspect this is going to get really
1: kind of chewed up and sped out. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'll just I'll tell you, I didn't know anything about Governor DeSantis until about September of 2020, and uh, I got a call from his, his office uh, and telling me that he, that he was on the phone asking, asking if he could speak with me. It was like some Sunday afternoon and I was at home. Um, and so for, for two hours, we talked about papers, like scientific papers. Mm-hmm. The man had read past the abstracts of a whole bunch of scientific, I, I would bring up a paper and not just my papers, like lots of papers mm-hmm. um, and uh, on, on the science of COVID, like do, do kids spread the disease? What's the, what, what actually is the infection fatality rate? Who's most at risk, um, how effective have lockdowns been, how effective are masks? Um, and he'd read past the abstracts of a lot of the papers that I brought up. He knew more about the science of COVID than many of my colleagues did in the medical school. Um, so I was, I was floored and absolutely impressed by this. And the strategy he's adopted, I mean, there've there been, there been problems, I think, but there's also been enormous successes. Like, so for instance, uh, he kept the schools open in all through 2020, late 2020, or fall of 2020, and, and all through the rest of 2021 through 2022. All the schools in Florida were open because he took action to do that. And as a consequence, Florida children will, will lead longer, healthier, uh, richer lives than California school kids, especially poor school kids who were kept out of school or Zoom school for a year and a half, many of whom dropped out, and will never come back to school. Um, so I think if you want to look at the success or failure of, of, of a policy, you have to look at beyond, well, far beyond just the, the just narrow things like number of COVID deaths. You have to look into lots of other public health priorities. But even if you look just at narrowly at COVID deaths, you know Florida is an older population.
0: Well, I was going to ask Florida. In theory, Jay should have just should, should have been a disaster zone with two reasons. Number one, a large senior population vulnerable, and secondly, with tourism, a lot of people coming and going.
1: Yeah, and but, but if you look at the age adjusted COVID mortality rate for COVID in California versus Florida, it's almost identical. So California, for all its restrictions, bought nothing almost in terms of COVID control and or at least COVID harm in terms of mortality. Um, and it paid the the cost in terms of the the lives of its of the children of our children of California. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's 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 a clear-cut case to me that that Florida did substantially better with covid than um, and not I do think that there, there were there were you know like I think for instance, I think um, uh, uh, Governor DeSantis played a really important role in making sure that the the vaccines were rolled out to older people very, very early, which was a real success. right it, uh, now uh, I think, it's funny. It's like, I think um, there's still parts of the population, older populations in Florida that weren't vaccinated that I think that's what led to the deaths in the summer. And I think maybe a little more, a little more energy can put into that. But, you know, I think some of that is outside of the control of a governor. I mean, I think like California, um, there's a large, fr- the, the largest fraction of the population that's not vaccinated, older populations, that's not vaccinated are actually minority populations.
0: I was going to say, Jay, California had two problems, I think. Number one, um, when it first rolled out vaccines, it first wanted to do seniors. And it started down that road. And then quickly, the administration just sort of caved under pressure. Why are seniors? Why isn't everybody getting it? So they started playing with the age. But the second problem, Jay, was they never really made successful inroads in the minority communities. And, you know, I'm not sure exactly how you do that. If you do that through the bully pulpit of the governor, if you try to find you know, celebrities can't do everything for you, but at least try to fix famous faces to the cause. I know they tried some of that here in California, but they could never kind of get into, especially in minority communities and get them convinced that this was not going to kill them.
1: Yeah. I mean, and so that, that's been a big failure within California. It's why we had the, the deaths that we've had um, that are disproportionately minority. Actually, if you look in Florida, um, COVID is an equal opportunity killer in terms of, of race. And, and uh, it's, it's a much more equal representation of who's died from COVID relative to the, 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 the uh, representation of the population was in California, Hispanics are greatly overrepresented among the COVID deaths. Right. Um, so California's outcomes have been both un, more unequal in terms of COVID, no better on an age adjusted base per capita basis than than, Flor- than Florida's. And we paid all of the harms in the lockdown, most of which are going to be paid by poor children.
0: In a hindsight, Jay, is there anything that DeSantis should have done differently?
1: I, th- I think, um, so if you if I actually got an opportunity to interview him last year, uh, I mean I think he uh, his his main regret was shutting down so early. I mean he he was basically uh, subject to the same briefing that uh, Deborah Burks, the, the White House uh, coordinator on COVID, um, gave to the every other governor. Uh, and you know he was skeptical, but he was like, okay, this is what the top scientists are saying. And then he started reading literature and realized that that, that there was something really deeply wrong with it with the message he was getting so i think he regrets that initial shutdown um because it didn't really do anything it just scared the population uh harmed harmed uh, harmed people um on, on the other and, and i think my my personal, i mean i agree with that but they also think I, I think the other criticism might be a little bit more energy in making sure all of the elderly people were vaccinated i think he he did a lot on that front by the way you know, in, by the end of, of uh, January, I think was the, Florida was among the top places in the country in terms of elderly vaccination. Um, so it's it's not that he's uh, as it failed. It's just like I would love to see a little more like a superhuman effort on that, because that really was the critical thing. Once we had the vaccines, use it to protect the elderly.
0: Okay. So you know, California, Jay. By the way, as much as it was not California, I give it credit for this. It is the first state to formally adopt an endemic approach to the coronavirus. In other words, say, it was very funny. Newsom would not say the E word at the time, but it was very clear when he was shifting policy that we're going from P pandemic to E endemic. But I'm just kind of curious if the public's going to go along with endemic, and this is kind of the question moving forward about coronavirus. If it's not, if the if the strains are not going to kill us, if they're not going to hospitalize us, if it's, it's not going to cause a health crisis. Is the public going to, at some point, accept COVID nineteen as it does a flu shot, as it does other things you deal with on a regular health basis, or are we going to be in this prolonged period where every time you see a rising COVID spike, everyone panics and hits the hits the alarm?
1: Yeah, I think. Well, I think uh, well, actually, just just in in defense of like someone like Christine Noam or or, uh, or 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 uh, or Desantis, I think they'd say they had, or even Kemp, uh, Governor Kemp of, of Georgia, they'd say they, they adopted an endemic approach. Long, yeah. before, right. long before Newsom did. Um, I, I think uh, to answer your, your second question, I think that is really the critical question, right? Uh, the, that's the political battle that's, that's that's coming up, right? So in um, November, I, and I, it is a political question primarily, not an epidemiological question. Right. I mean. um, so like you saw in November of this past year, a split verdict, you saw Virginia and almost New Jersey punish governors that adopted a very strict approach to COVID. Right. And, um, and, and on the other hand, in, in California, you saw the California electorate reward Governor Newsom. And, um, and I think it's gonna be a primarily political question and November of 2022 will determine the answer to that question. I, I don't believe that the governors and officials that pushed for these very strict policies that have so self-evidently failed and caused so much harm I don't believe the American electorate will reward it. I don't believe the world uh, democracies will reward it. I believe that, I believe, and maybe this is just uh, just naive today or uh, false optimism on my part, but but I believe that people uh, have begun to understand the catastrophe of the lockdowns, the harm caused by them, and and, and then also the inefficacy of the lockdowns and being able to stop um, or protect people from COVID, um, that the alternate policies were available. I don't think most people like the society that was created. It's essentially a biomedical security state around COVID control, and I think we're going to reject it.
0: Well, I think the thing, Jay, is this: uh, people don't want to go back to that society. I don't think people want to go back to a lockdown. People don't want to wear their masks. It's you read the stories of yesterday's um, decision, and just anecdotally, people in airports cheering and people ripping off their masks and just going to create environmental hazard. I think people probably want to gather and put their mask in a bonfire and uh, <laughs> let the smoke rise to thirty thousand feet. But um, I think this is the challenge going forward. It's going to be the the the, you know, the inclination of public health officials to always error on the side of caution slash extremes. And maybe you can argue that's self-serving because they don't want something terrible to happen under their watch. I think that's part of our lesson from 2020. Why did they react so hard and overreact and turn, you know, turn you know against the skid and not with it. Because I think they're thinking about their legacies perhaps. But at the same time, they're thinking about draconian measures to shut down COVID. The public is moving on. And you see this with the uh, willingness to get rid of their masks, you know, lickety split and just not want to go into lockdowns and so forth. So I just, it's going to be a challenge thing for political leadership to, to stand up to public health officials and say, you know, sorry, but <laughs> this is where we are now.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, frankly, like before COVID, uh, the, the, the modal public health officials spent a very frustrated life they yell to the moon about like, you know, you should, you should uh, go exercise and lose weight, or you should, you should like go uh, just stop eating, stop eating bad junk, junk foods or, or whatnot. And they'd look and see like no effect of their, of their, of their recommendations. Um, you know, don't eat sushi if you're, if you're, uh, if you're pregnant or something. Um, so and, and so like that kind of like, okay, we, yeah, they're, they're giving us what they view as their, their health advice, and we are going to make judgments based on how we live our lives and on what we value. That was the normal relationship between public health and, and the public before. It, what we've seen in during COVID is completely abnormal in, in terms of the history, the recent history of public health, where public health essentially became the de facto law, right? The, Fauci was the de facto president of the United States for two years, now, as far as I'm concerned, ruined, ruined two presidencies. Um, And so I think uh, what's going to what's what's what uh, I think we're seeing we're going to see a return to that. Uh, There'll be these sort of panicky public health officials will scream about cases, but I think uh, if they if public health officials want to avoid irrelevancy, they will start to take seriously that health is more than just COVID control. Health is a much broader notion, and then once they do that, then people will take their advice seriously again.
0: Yeah. You know, you saw this in Los Angeles in 2020 and 2021 when they went through the lockdown. Uh, people did not want to go on with the lockdown. The Los Angeles Police Department got into a, a fight with a uh, uh, with a party house up in the Hollywood Hills. It was a TikTok house, and these uh, young people would get together every night and rage. And so they'd draw 100 or 200 people. And the LAPD have to decide do we go up there and break it up or not? And they had to break it up because it's on social media and everybody sees it. And if you don't break it up, you're allowing this double standard to go on. Uh, but just imagine the double standard back then versus what would be the double standard now. I just don't think people would go along with the program. And in part, it's just, it's the enjoyment of being free. I'm I'm flying tomorrow. And the first thing I had to do um, for getting ready to pack was to make sure I had a mask with me because I thought I'm going to get to the airport and have to put on a mask. Well, maybe I don't have to now. It's optional now, but still, uh, I just don't think people are going to want to go back to 2020. Just having been through it once and having not liked it, but also maybe thinking now that, you know, I've been immunized. It hasn't killed me. It's, you know, this it seems like something I could deal with.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think um, a lot of people now had COVID and understand yeah. what it, what it is. Um, and, and I think, you know, vaccinated or not, masked or not. So I think, I think you're absolutely right, Bill. Uh, it's really the fear of the disease. Like we're, we're, you know, we're, uh, as humans, we're like, we have this like built into our, our evolutionary background is this like, Right. terror of infectious disease for in the west we sort of felt like we conquered it you know polio was a was it was a bad thing but like you know for the last 50 years at least infectious disease was something that happened to somebody else you know hiv being another you know it's right. a disease that happened to somebody else right mm-hmm. I, I certainly infectious disease can't affect me because I'm, I'm a i'm a you know i live in the united states which is clean um and so i think when this disease came it triggered those fear centers. It's what led people to, to be willing to live under this COVID regime for so long. But mm-hmm. that fear is dissipating. And I think the COVID regime will go with it.
0: Of course, now the flip side is what if a variant comes along that is particularly lethal, then how does government actually get people to you know, act in what is the best interest for their health?
1: Well, I think I think it, whatever comes along, the the key question, the key thing, will still be focused protection. Whoever is vulnerable, right. that's who we should devote our resources to. Develop. And keeping society going as best we can, in the face of that, is actually a public health priority. Stopping society from like essentially ending ending most social interactions is not a thing that will contribute to health. I think that's a lesson that we've learned. Even if there's a variant that's more deadly or whatever that comes along, but I, you know what? Actually, I don't think that's likely. I think the likely thing is that this disease seems to mutate toward immune escape, not toward more lethality. So it'll be like the other coronaviruses. You get mutations all the time, but the mutations are toward like causing another cold rather than causing causing death. Uh, Now, I don't know, know. it's hard to say exactly because who knows what exactly evolutionary uh, futures look like is a very, very difficult thing to predict. Um, but I think, uh, I think it's, it's, um, I think the key thing for public health is remembering the basic principle, uh, st- uh f- f- focus, identify who's vulnerable, move, heaven, earth, protect them while let m- m- encouraging society, no- not fear-mongering, encouraging society to go on as uh, normally as best it can given the threat.
0: Jay, Will prevention always be playing catch up to the disease? In other words, will we be, will the, Vaccine be chasing the variant, or are we going to get a point where science will get ahead of the curve here and get ahead of the variant? You hear talk about the pill, the cube, whatever's going to come along and and solve this for us.
1: I don't think that um, I don't think that the that that uh, that, we're, that that this is a disease that will require um, routine, regular vaccination for most people. You don't? I think, no, I don't. I think. Um, if you're COVID recovered, and a lot of folks, and I mean, may, um, certainly more than half the country, probably a lot more than that, uh, have had COVID and recovered from it, that seems to provide lasting protection against the disease, especially severe disease. Um, before the Omicron, the reinfection rates were something like 0.5 percent. You know, right. five out of a thousand people would get reinfected at, over a full year, according to data from the UK, Italy, elsewhere. Um, Omicron, I think, evaded. it. Uh, immune protection, but it, it didn't produce very severe disease among the people who were who had COVID, uh, who had been COVID recovered. I think so. I think um, given that that that's true, uh, the the repeated vaccinations to protect against severe disease aren't nece- are not going to be necessary. And you know, like the vaccines do have side effects. Like as you know, young men, for instance, it produces uh, myocarditis at something like one in three thousand and one in ten thousand per per dose, and more mm-hmm. for the boosters. I don't, and I don't, and you know the, the the vaccine is designed around the original spike protein from the Wuhan variant, whereas the, the spike protein looks very different now. So I don't, even if you have an updated one to look like the variant that you're trying to protect against, you, you're going to get immune evasion no matter what. Uh, you already have protection against severe disease, either from COVID recovery or from 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 the vaccination already, except for certain. Populations, you know, like immu- immunocompromised populations or very old populations, who who seem to have less uh, less protection against severe disease, even if they're vaccinated or if they've COVID recovered. I don't see an, an argument for repeated vaccination. But yet, your doctor will encourage you to get a flu shot each year. The, the flu shot's a different a different bot thing altogether, right? So the flu, the, it has, it actually it actually mutates in in stylized ways that are much more effective at mutations at immune evasion than this vaccine is. Mm-hmm. And also not just that, but the, vac- the, the evasion of the, the flu vaccine, the flu virus as it, it, as, it is, as it mutates can produce severe disease in certain groups of people, even if they had flu before, the other, other variants of the flu before. Um, so the flu vaccine, although this year's flu vaccine was terrible, it's like 15% efficacy. Um, the, but in general, the flu vaccine is, is, a, is, is, is a good proposition. Um, and, and the other thing is the safety record of it is well known and understood because we, 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 we've had the flu vaccine, you know, so it's a new, new one every year, but like a, the, the, the general platform is much better understood than this platform. So I think um, I think the flu vaccine is a very different proposition than this one. I don't see the argument for this one.
0: Okay, final topic, Jay, and I sure appreciate your generosity of your time today. Um, let's shift from ending a vaccine to uh, lawmakers in Sacramento wanting to end the voices of dissident covid Speakers, and this would be Assembly Bill 2098, Assembly Bill 2098. uh, Ironically introduced on Valentine's Day, though there's not a lot of love inside of this bill. Uh, This bill J applies to the licensure and regulation of physicians and surgeons by the Medical Board of California and the Osteopathic Medical Board of California. In other words, you're an MD and you want to get certified to practice medicine in California, you got to go before the board. Let me read you a little language from the bill J quote: This bill would designate the dissemination or promotion of misinformation or disinformation. Related to COVID 19 as unprofessional conduct. It continues the bill would require the board to consider specified factors prior to bringing a disciplinary action against a physician and surgeon. Four factors, Jay, I'll read them to you. Number one, quote, whether the licensee deviated from the applicable standard of care. Point number two, whether the licensee intended to mislead or acted with malicious intent. Point three, whether the misinformation or disinformation was demonstrated to have resulted in an individual declining opportunities for COVID-19 prevention or treatment that was not justified by the individual's medical history or condition. Point four, J, condition number four, whether the misinformation or disinformation was contradicted by contemporary scientific consensus to an extent where its dissemination constitutes gross negligence by the licensee. Now, this does not apply to you because you're not board certified. You're an MD, but you're not board certified in California. But if you were, how would this bill affect Jay Bhattacharya's existence?
1: Yeah, so so I'm a researcher, so I'm I'm, I'm free. Um, the the, um, the the problem with this bill is that so we we um, uh, we we give doctors this authority to look at. Uh, the scientific evidence and make and decide based on scientific evidence what's best for their patient, and th- that we all, and and because they're trained, we they have this authority legitimately. Um, this bill basically replaces that authority of, of, of doctors looking at the scientific evidence, deciding what's best for the patients, with uh essentially decrees by the government, like by this by the CDC or the California Public Health or something. Um, the and I mean, in, in principle, if you had a responsible CDC, a responsible that, that, that actually was uh, sort of adequately characterizing the uncertainties in the in, a, in a medical literature rather than making dogmatic claims that are absolutely false, like no, no, there's no protection against disease after you've COVID recovered. Um, th- that, that that would be it would be it could be a defensible thing. But instead, what we have is this bill in this context is essentially trying to override the judgment of doctors and silence them to threaten their license, their ability to practice at all, unless they toe the government line. That's the right way to read this bill. Um, because it's not, it's, you know, like if, for instance, if, if a doctor does something that's bad for a patient that's outside of, of, of like normal practice, well, there's a remedy, it's called malpractice, right? This bill doesn't need, doesn't, you don't need to protect patients that way because the patient's already protected that way through the malpractice. Uh, what this bill does instead is essentially chill the speech of doctors, not just in front of their patients, but more generally. Right. Right. So, if a doctor says, "Look, uh, I don't think that the, the a mask is particularly effective for you to stopping the spread of the disease or protecting you against disease," and they cite studies, good, solid studies, well, if the CDC says otherwise then you lose your license. Uh, so I think it's one of these things where like, um, in the history of, me- of, of science, we've had things like this before, but in places like the Soviet Union, right? In the Soviet Union, there was a scientist, uh, a geneticist named uh, uh, Lysenko, Trofim Lysenko. And he was Stalin's favorite geneticist, but he didn't believe in Mendelian genetics. He thought uh, acquired characteristics could be inherited by plants. And so we could just fix uh, the, the 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 problems that the Soviet Union had just by like you know his his crazy methods, he sent real geneticists to Siberia to support his theories. Like there was no dissent allowed within that scientific field, and and it set back Soviet agriculture, actually even even Chinese agriculture for decades, causing the deaths of I don't know how many people as a result of. Essentially, the suppression of scientific discussion. That's essentially the spirit in which this bill is, I think, uh, put forward. It's a a way to control an otherwise independent set of people who would who, who are trained to look at science and say, "Look, you're not allowed to contradict what the what the uh, what what the government says."
0: Well I look, you are not board certified, you're not a practicing position here in California. Our Hoover colleague Scott Atlas is in the same boat. Scott's a radiologist, I think, but he is academic and a researcher. well who are they going after though? Are you suggesting there's a universe of, of both academic researchers who also are practicing medicine and that's who the, that's who the legislature wants to crack down on?
1: Not just they're, they're going after regular doctors. They're going after all, all doctors, like any doctor that's practicing right So if you um, make your uh, make your make your living based on, on treating patients, that's who they're they're going after. Anyway, and so it, it's um, uh, like they, so. For instance, I'll give you an example. There have been doctors in the pandemic who have said, "Look, uh, I'm getting pretty good results using um, you know fluvoxamine or or, or ivermectin or, or or something." And you know, maybe maybe they are. Maybe they're getting good results um, uh, using it for their patients. Should they be allowed to say that? Well, we always allow doctors to say that. And then you do studies to to evaluate it, and then the doctors can evaluate. Like I mean, you can have arguments, and um, I mean, I think that kind of that kind of thing, where uh, doctors use their judgment based on what they're they've seen in their patients. Like like so, you know, in, in the early days of the, of the pandemic, you have a patient you, with this with COVID. It's a deadly disease, you know it is for them. Um, and you're like a, your doctor, you want to try something to, fit, to help them. And you say, okay, well, I've been told that Iver- I see these results, early results from ivermectin look promising. I'll try it. That's, it's an it's a FDA approved drug. Is that bad? I, I mean, I don't know for certain whether ivermectin works or doesn't work. I mean, many of the results look promising to me, and there's some results that are le- less promising, but I just I, I think it's a legitimate thing for a doctor practicing to have available to them uh, especially for diseases leading to, 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 to like high levels of death for their patients, to try, try things that look promising. I think that is an absolutely good thing for doctors to do, and they shouldn't be feared to do that at risk of losing their license. Yeah, the phrase that jumped
0: out to me was misinformation or disinformation, quote, contradicted by contemporary scientific consensus. So what is contemporary scientific consensus? Is that what's in the latest issue of JAMA or Lancet? Or how do we determine what consensus is?
1: I mean, the judge is the judge is the people who are like writing the law. I mean, we're, you know, like the the board. I mean, you, you basically are putting the the licenses of doctors in the hands of people that disagree with the, the, the doctors. Mm-hmm. Right, um, and and what we've seen is that the the that the people who are making these like contemporary scientific consensus with during COVID have acted incredibly irresponsibly. They have argued that completely legitimate mainstream views are fringe um, when when they're when they're not right. So like for that, that happened to me with with Tony Fauci attacking uh, or Francis Collins attacking me, calling me calling me fringe when I'm arguing for protection of the vulnerable. Um right. I, I think uh, I think what you have is a situation where um, the, the 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 public health authorities are are scared to death that they're they don't actually have actual authority based on actual knowledge, and so trying to like enforce their authority by by uh, essentially causing this by, by by threatening the licenses of practicing physicians, it makes no sense. It's it, mm-hmm. the only way I can make like make sense of it is is an attempt to suppress uh, dissent. Uh, legitimate scientific dissent when, in fact, uh, when, when, when the uh, public health authorities don't really have a good argument to make otherwise.
0: Uh, this will be interesting to, be able to follow, Jay, because California does have a powerful medical lobby in Sacramento, California Medical Association. Uh, they're very skilled at defeating measures they don't like, such as single payer care. Uh, we'll be very curious to see how they weighed in on this issue, which it sounds like is one of free speech.
1: Yeah, I mean, I hope, uh, I hope the California Medical Association does the right thing here, because it should, if, if it's acting in, on the behalf of, of its physicians and also its, uh, the patients that they care for, they should allow their, they should trust the doctors that are in, in California to, to make good decisions on the basis of the patients, uh, the, the well-being of the patients, not support, essentially, suppression of, of, of practice by, uh, by, by the government.
0: Okay, a couple of quick questions, uh, questions Jay, and I'll let you go. Um, I have had a, uh, I got a Johnson Johnson shot, then I got a booster, and then so I'm due for another booster. Should I get another booster?
1: So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna use it, uh, use some information that you told me that I know separately. You didn't just mention which is that I think you got COVID and recovered. If I'm not mistaken.
0: No, no, I've never. Had, well, I I so I think I got it actually last over Christmas. I was I was here at Stanford over Christmas, and I had just um, I had about every symptom that seems to apply to, to BA two. I felt like garbage for about three days. I lost my taste for a while, uh, but I came out of it. And so I never got tested for. it, But it you sounds to me like I had COVID.
1: Yeah, you had COVID. So I don't think you need a booster bill. Okay. Yeah. Cause I think, I think like, like me, I've, I had the vaccine and I, I COVID recovered. I don't really believe I, I, I benefit a lot, a large amount from boost. Now, the argument in favor for you for a booster may be that you're a little bit older than me, um, but you're not old enough that, that I, where, and I, and you're pretty healthy. You're walking around. I mean, I, just, I see you on campus walking around. Right. Um, you're, you're trim. I don't, I just don't think um, the, 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 the case is there. Now, if you're, if you're, you know, 10, 15 years older, if you haven't had COVID before then then there might be a case um but i think for you i don't i don't see the case
0: okay second quick question are we headed for another lockdown
1: god i hope i i don't i don't think so i think the idea of a lockdown i mean i look at what happened in shanghai right look what happened in in hong kong and in china there Um, there
0: there are 400 million chinese in lockdown right now something like that
1: it's, it's it's crazy and the disease is spreading you know, just the way you would expect a respiratory disease to spread. You have these human rights catastrophes go- happening um, where people are locked in their homes, they can't get food. Many of them really for a month have not been able to get food. Um, and uh, you have like parents separated from children, pe- uh, pets being killed, um, forced quarantines uh, in, in like very crowded detention centers. Um, I think uh, the idea that of, of a lockdown, it's time has come and gone. I don't think that it will have the same um, support that it might, might, might once have had, because again, the fear is largely dissipated compared to uh, where we were in March, 2020.
0: Then the final question, Jay, I have about a dozen masks uh, here in my possession. What do I do with them? <laughs> Am I still gonna need? We've struck down the airline mask mandate. Now the public transportation mandate. Am I still gonna need a mask, though?
1: I, I would hold on to them just in case they, the mask mandate. Unlike the lockdowns, we're not getting back mask mandates. Who knows? They might. This is California. They might come back. So, uh, but you know, if uh, make a nice art project, I, I, I'm thinking about like I've been daydreaming of having a little bonfire outside of my uh, in, in, a, in a little garbage can. We can all just do a little mask protest. That that, that might be fun too. I'm not sure. Uh, Then they'll come after you for air quality, (laughs) Jay.
0: You've created a whole new problem for yourself. (laughs) Okay, any final thoughts, Jay? Anything that we should have talked about today that we haven't?
1: No, thank you, Bill. This was a really really fun conversation.
0: Okay, well, appreciate the time. And again, welcome welcome to the Hoover Institution. Glad to have you on board.
1: Take care.
0: You've been listening to Matters of Policy and Politics, a Hoover Institution podcast devoted to governance and balance of power here in America and around the free world. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our show. If you wouldn't mind, please spread the word. Tell your friends about us. The Hoover Institution has Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter feeds. Our Twitter handle is at Hoover Inst. That's spelled at Hoover I-N-S-T. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya is on Twitter. Brave man that he is. And here's his Twitter handle. Brace yourself. It's complicated. It is at DRJ. B-H-A-T-T-A-C-H-A-R-Y-A. That spells out Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. Let me repeat it again. D R J B H A T T A C H A R Y A. Did I get that right, Jay? Yep, that's perfect. Good. And I mentioned our website at the beginning of the podcast, broadcast. That is hoover.org. While you're there, sign up for the Hoover Daily Report, which delivers the best work of Jay Bhattacharya and his colleagues Street inbox weekdays. For the Hoover Institution, this is Bill Whalen. We'll be back soon with another installment of matters of policy and politics. Until then, take care.